Hey everybody, how's it going? Uh, today on Jerusalem Muse Israel Teachers Lounge, which is supposed to be the name of our podcast, uh, we will be discussing our recent visit to Hebron. Our podcast gives you background on what's going on in Israel and gives you insight behind the headlines. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? Are you there, Alan? Going good, Mike. Here you are. And here I'm again. There. Oh. Okay. And here also is Matt Littman. How's it going, Matt? It is going great. Good afternoon, everybody. Okay. As you can hear, we are working today by Skype, so that is why it sounds like we are recording on Skype. All right. <laughs> Now, uh, we can't see each other, though, because we turned okay. off the video, so it's a, it's a really awkward way to make a podcast. Speaking of awkward silences, there you go. Yeah, uh, we, I agree. Can you describe... Uh, There's a certain bit of mystery. I guess, but that's more for us than the listeners, which doesn't really help. Uh, can, who, who wants to describe our outing on Monday before we share our insights and reflections? Alan, would you describe what we did on Monday? Um, okay, uh, we went to Hebron, the city of our fathers and mothers. Um, we went for a little senior Matt and Michael have been asking to, um, since many of our students, almost all of our students, go on a senior of Hebron during their year. Um, and both of you had not been there in quite many years. You asked if I could what is a senior of Hebron. What is a senior? Um, to see what is it. Uh, a, a walking tour, a walking tour of Hebron, an educational walking tour of Hebron to see, you know, um, that very interesting state uh, uh, brings all the issues of the conflict between Palestinians and Israelis into a very small, caned uh, spot. Okay, so what areas did we go through? So um, we started with um, what is considered to be the cave of the patriarchs and matriarchs, where Avram, Sarah, um, Yitzhak, and Rivka, and Yaakov, and Leah are buried. Um, if you go back to the Genesis in the beginning of the, of the Bible, and uh, Avram buys the cave of Machpelah from um, Ephron, and then becomes the barrel cave, the ancestral barrel cave of the of the patriarchs and matriarchs. Um, and so we went to the place that's been traditionally cited for that for really thousands of years. Even though we don't have anything going back to Avram, we do have going back to Herodian times. Herod and Her Herod built a structure on that building, which still stands today and still the base of it. Um, and that's where we started. Then we made our way to uh, the Avram Avinu quarter. Um, or neighborhood, really, which is one of the neighborhoods of where the Jews live. And then we walked up Shuhada Street, which is one of the most contentious streets, um, to get to, uh, I guess, Beit Hadassah and the Romano um, neighborhood. And then from there, we cut up and did a little hiking, Ke'ilu, for uh, hiking for us. Well, for middle-aged <laughs> guys, that was a hike, yeah. And to the ancient, exactly, um, even though there were stairs for most of it. Uh, and then going up to Tel Romeda, uh, that led us up to Tel Romeda, 
which is um, another the other Jewish neighborhood and is adjacent to what's called Tel Hebron or the old city of Hebron, where also the 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 le- uh, uh, not legend. Um, some traditions have it that Ruth and Yishai, the the, the father of King David and Ruth his grandmother, and are buried. And then we walked all the way back down. Uh, Jesse, uh, Jess, Yishai. Um, so that's that was more the route we took to see the development of the different neighborhoods. And um, of course, we're not allowed into the Palestinian um, areas of Hebron, uh, controlled areas of Hebron. We're only in Jewish, so we were only able to look at to 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 be able to look out, to look into those areas and to um, go to the major checkpoint, walking checkpoint between those two areas. How so, many how many Jews live in Hebron approximately? Uh, you know, it's always various, but 800 is usually the number you see. And Arabs? Hebron, and that doesn't include Kirat Arba. That doesn't include Kirat Arba. Kirat Arba is a separate settlement that's adjacent to Hebron. It's walking distance from Hebron, but it's a separate settlement. And that's a whole different story in and of itself. We're really just talking about the city of Hebron and uh, about 800 Jews and 200,000 plus um, Arabs. Right. Matt, what did you think of the so, what were your Matt, what were your takeaways from the day? Uh, so as Alan mentioned, I hadn't been for many years. In fact, I was actually on my gap here. Uh, almost a year ago was I with Um and I had a very different experience. And the first thing that was different for me was I had actually had spent a Shabbat with a resident of Kiraba. And then on Shabbat, we walked to uh, the Cave of the Patriarchs. Um, and that uh, experience was very, um, was very enlightening and obviously very one-sided in the, in the way that um, facts and history and the reality at the time were all presented to me. Um, we didn't do the same route that we did this time with the different uh, neighborhoods and the different areas. Um, so that was completely uh, new for me, um, just to actually see that on the ground. Uh, the things that I, I was most uh, taken with was I felt like the whole experience was very much geared towards tourists, um, which I was surprised that I felt that. I didn't think everything would be so like sort of organized and clean and feel so normal like any regular tourist site in Israel. Um, I very much had that feeling. There, you know, there was a, a cafeteria where you could buy snacks and there was gift shops in a couple of different places and things like that. So I, I was surprised by that, but I um, found it interesting. Um, and also I was surprised by how little military presence I felt were in the different areas that we walked. Alan described the different uh, neighborhoods that we visited. And to be honest, the only time we really saw soldiers outside the specific buildings that we went into. Along the streets, there weren't patrols, there weren't jeeps driving around, things like that, which I, which I had expected. Um, so that was, that was also uh, an interesting takeaway for me. Alan, what were the main points that you wanted us to take away from the experience leading us around? Alan, you still there? Well, we seem to have lost now. Hi, I'm still here. I'm here, I'm here, I'm back. Oh, what were the... Um, yeah, so the main takeaways, it, like any time you really go out to the field to to learn, um, you know, the number one is seeing, 
right? What are, what are you seeing? You want to actually see and and actually and also, and use your other senses, seeing, hearing, um, even smells, because the 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 learning that you're doing when you're in the field should really be encompassing uh, all your senses. Um, and particularly for us, since both of you are pretty familiar with uh, the history and the political situation, it was an opportunity to actually see it in its in its environment, as opposed to just talking about it in the class and seeing pictures. One gets a very different perspective, as Matt is saying. Like it seemed so normal to him, which really threw him off. And so that that's a big part of it, because the truth is, usually it's kind of normal there. It's like quiet. It was a hot, quiet day. And we don't think about those days. We always think about the, you know, two percent of the time or less when things are contentious. So that that's an important part of it. Um, but also seeing, you know, get, getting the perspective of space is very important. Um, so that, way that you you know that you, you have the details in your mind of of the of the history of it, of how it developed, of the contentions of the of the problems. But now you can actually walk in space and it gives you a different perspective. So I really want you to get that perspective of being there and what that means. And that in some ways is, is, is subjective. Also, it's not, I mean, there are objective things. Like when you walk on Shuhada Street, which is the main uh, street of cont contention, one could say, which was, uh, is it was a, a major um, Arab um, uh, commercial street. And it's completely closed today. Uh, for security reasons, it's uh, you, so you see seeing those closed doors and the door, and the, the the metal the old old school metal doors locked in all the stores. As you walk in, that gives you a different perspective, and so that's what kind of the uh, well, I think I wanted you to sort of hopefully gain. And I think that's sort of what when you have a a group that wants to articulate Israel's narrative. So they'll take you to Marat Machpelah, the cave of the patriarchs, maybe to the Avramavinu neighborhood, and show you how you know Jewish history is coming back to life. But they may not take you down Shuhada Street. And groups that are trying to assert a Palestinian narrative may take you down that street without explaining or sharing the sense of Jewish renewal that comes in Hebron. Uh, and what you were trying to say was, you really to understand if you're if you're if you're not trying to. Uh, grasp a particular narrative, but trying to be educated and understand the broader picture, then you really need to take a big tour of all perspectives to understand what's going on there. Is that is that a fair right. so, so articulation here's the funny of your thing point? About that. I, I think yes and, but I, I, yes but. <laughs> Not yes and, but yes but. Because um, it's a kind of a funny thing, because what, what you see there is the fight of dual narratives on the street. And that's what I ask you. And how would you see the fight of dual narratives on the street there? I, I think one of the things that I noticed when we were there is, for example, on Shuada Street, uh, both uh, Jews have hung up signs, um, like sort of posters and flyers and things like that, to talk about their narrative. And uh, in one of the uh, apartments above the street, which, uh, as Alan said, is basically closed off now and Palestinians don't have access down to the street, somebody had hung a sign in their window that was talking about how Israel had taken, taken away their home and taken away this from them and taken that away from them and what an apartheid situation is. Um, and both sides have like, used the street almost as a medium through which to tell their narrative. Um, <coughs> And I, I found that really interesting that 
they're both taking the opportunity to put up these posters and these signs so that even if you're on the other, even if you're being brought as part of you know, a group or something from another side, you're still going to be exposed to their narrative too, uh, just because you can't avoid it because it's hanging up in the street. So uh, I thought that was an interesting thing to see as well. well and, I, and so, and it's even more, I want to emphasize, yeah, go ahead, Mike. No, no, go ahead, Alan. So, so I just want to like emphasize that more because that whole narrative fight on Shuhada Street. So it starts with, okay, all the stores are closed. So why are they closed? So people would bring there and explain it. So then the residents of Hebron and, and uh, wanted to make sure that their narrative was getting out. So they hung those signs. So then that Palestinian that we saw hung that sign. Um, and it's kind of this evolving, uh, evol- evolving debate. And you also, of course, have the other points where where Jews were um, killed in Hebron and terrorist attacks, you also have memorials for them. Any place that they were killed is also around that. It's also part of this dueling narrative. Well, for me, that was the part that, that kept going around and around in my head, which is that the politicization of this uh, is, so, is so ever-present. That first of all, and this is a point that you kept making over and over, Alan, which is that saying Shuhada Street is the... <laughs> is the story of Hebron, that one closed down street, would be sort of like saying, you know, if Mach and Yehuda Shuk in Jerusalem were closed, that would be the story of Jerusalem. It wouldn't be a nothing thing for someone to close down that street, but it wouldn't, it's not, it's not totally central to the story of Jerusalem. It's relevant, but it's not central. So it doesn't, it doesn't mean if somebody... It's not the whole story. And it's, it's not, not the whole story. Would we be would we be upset if somebody shut right. down Machane Yehuda? Sure. Would that be the story of Jerusalem? No, it wouldn't. So it, it, everything has to be to be understood has to be in its proper perspective. Right, and that uh, and that's kind of the battle kind of going on there. But both sides are kind of they only want to give a very uh, a very focused um, perspective, let's put it that way, right? Yeah, and to <laughs> me, the crazy thing is that what we saw of, of Jews and Arabs living together, of different ethnicities and different religious approaches, not agreeing with each other and not being truly tolerant and pluralistic, but finding a way to coexist, finding modus vivendi that they could coexist, is the story of the Middle East for the last, what, how many thousand years? That's the norm. The norm is, look, right. we don't agree. We're different, ethnically different, religiously different. But let's find a way. Like when you were showing us in Marada Machpelah, the cave of the patriarchs, patriarchs, how the areas that remember Abraham and Sarah and Jacob and Leah are used most of the year by Jews, and the areas that commemorate uh, Isaac and Rebekah are mostly used okay. by Muslims, but then they'll, they'll swap or they'll allow the other in and out at different times of the year. That type of haggling, that type of sort of marketplace existence where, all right, nobody gets everything, but everybody gets something, is so, uh, well, how do you say ofiani in English? It's so like a, a typical of Middle Eastern. Characteristic. Yeah, it's such a characteristic of mid- Middle Eastern life that the fact that it's missing in modern Israel is the exception rather than the norm. And the difference and the reason it doesn't work well. I think. Go ahead. 
But I, I just wanted well, to say I that think, I think I think that that was the the basis behind. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Well, we're just cutting each other off in delays. Sorry about that. I Just to finish my point, I think that it has to do with Jewish sovereignty. In other yeah. words, if you take Jewish sovereignty out of the picture, that's the part that's stuck in the craw of our neighbors you know, and our cousins. That if Jews don't have sovereignty, they'll make allowances for Jews to function. Jewish sovereignty certainly makes even more generous allowances for Arabs and Christians and, and Muslims living in Israel. But for many in the Palestinian community, not all, but I would say the majority in the Palestinian community, the idea of Jewish sovereignty in the Middle East is so anathema that they're unwilling to accept it. And therefore, there's a blockage to the necessary haggling that would make coexistence entirely peaceful. Is that fair? Um, I, I think I that that's a lot of how we're feeling now, but if I kind of look at it back, because it's funny how, not funny, but the way that this whole thing worked out in the Machpelah was because of what happened with when Baruch Goldstein went in on Purim in 1994, I believe, and and uh, murdered 29 Palestinian Muslims praying in the Machpelah in the cave, and then he himself was, was killed. Um, so then that, that's when that Sidor came. Before that, there was there was I, I think it was pretty. It, there was different access times. There was a different Seder, but the, but this kind of By Seder, Seder came Sidor, out. This kind of order came out correct. of that conflict and very yeah, exactly correct. Um, this arrangement came out by uh, this this terrible act, this terrorist act, but. It was also the time during Oslo, and I think that that was the that was that is the fundamental idea behind Oslo is this haggling is that you're talking about? Every side, nobody's happy, but but that's what a compromise is. Nobody's happy, but everybody gives up. And since the collapse of any real process, however, whenever you want to say the collapse of the Oslo process or post Oslo peace process, whatever you want to call it, since it, there seems to be a stagnant where that is really more so so sort of feeling what you gets to you, you know what I mean? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And I, and I well, think are you saying that the result of having a deal means that the area for negotiation is cut off? Is that what you're saying? Say, sorry. By signing something, by having this kind of result of a, of a deal, of a treaty, whatever you want to call it, means that you're taking away people's creativity and people's flexibility to, to negotiate in that way. No, that, the opposite. We're saying the opposite. That, okay. that the Oslo process, you had this terrible act happen during the Oslo process, but because we were in a time period of, okay, let's compromise, let's talk it out, let's deal, let's back and forth. So they're able to come up with this compromise. I see. Okay. Um, even though within this, you know, very tense and terrible time period of, 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 of what happened and then the back and forth. But, but that was the essence of Oslo. But since the collapse of Oslo, I think it's what Mike is expressing, how I think people are feeling today. Well, but, but okay. yeah, exactly. That, that the political handcuffs come on and uh, make it impossible to find solutions. I, I, I'll tell you a funny way that I saw it. When we were walking and we saw those two new homes that were recently purchased uh, by Jewish families, uh, along Shuhada Street, right. and they're moving in. They're, they named one uh, Rachel House and one Leah House. So, 
And, and on the one hand, that's right. a story of so, the Arab owners no longer wanted to live there, so they sold their homes, and now Jews can move into that neighborhood, which, if you take out a political context, is just normal commerce. In other words, if the Arabs don't want to live near the, on the border of the Jewish area, and Jews do, why would anybody, you know, in an American context, saying what ethnicity should and shouldn't be living in what neighborhood <coughs> is anathema. But here, because of politics, it becomes fraught with difficulty and complication. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that that's... I, I just think that's right. what I mean, it is. I mean, if Right. I mean, we have to acknowledge, right, that those the, the Arabs are wanted to get, you know, get sort of rid of their house if they did. Whatever. I'm sure they got a lot of money for it, but because it's it can't really do anything there anymore. It's it's, it's very, very their their movement is very limited. Yeah, yeah, it's very um, complicated. Like I don't think I came away with any in in, in that area. Yeah, I, I don't think I have any like real conclusions, but it just it deepened. It was sort of a microcosm day of seeing what's happening in Hebron as the story of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. You know, it's a quintessential tense place. Although, as Matt said, they've managed to because they've the army secured the borders of the Jewish neighborhood. There's very little tension. We did see one flare-up, one minor little flare-up. You remember when we were walking down back down the hill? Yeah, but yes, um, just to, to give our, our listeners, basically we saw some children who were playing with a soccer ball. Uh, our understanding was the ball went into the, like, hit into an elderly uh, Palestinian man, and he was very upset, and he was waving his walking stick at these children who had, like, kicked the ball against him, and uh, and then the army kind of intervened to calm the situation down. Uh, that's what it looked like from my observation. Maybe you guys will disagree with me. That, that looked like to me was happening. Yeah, which you know, and you could just see it became a, a, a it, what what became, you know what what was just a sort of normal everyday incident becomes an example of political power differential in a really weird way because of the location. The other thing that I saw was a group of kids on bikes sort of hanging out. They weren't moving, and some Israeli soldiers were walking by. And one of the Israeli soldiers just high-fived each of the kids as he went by. And there was nothing... You didn't see on the soldier or the kid's face any, any feeling of, like, that being unusual. And part of me felt like taking out my phone and making a video of it. And the, then part, the, of, part of me felt the like... kids were Arabs. Yeah, little the you know these yeah Arab kids playing around, and the soldier just high fives them as they go by, and that was perfectly normal. And while part of me felt like oh I should post that online, part of me felt like how intrusive to their just everyday lives. Like that's not weird. That's that's also normal in Hebron. Not just the soldier. By the way, it wasn't just the soldier who told the old Arab man to to calm down. There was one of the residents who like yelled at him, and he was yelling. In Hebrew, at him, right. you don't you don't wave your stick at a Jew. Not don't worry, we'll take care of the kids. I'm sorry, you know, if that seemed disrespectful, right. he didn't mean anything. It became immediately an ethnic power balance issue. That to me was the striking moment, right? Where you know that's the type of things that happens with neighbors. Oh, 
Mr. Mr. McGinty next door is getting pretty frustrated and he's waving the kids off the lawn again. Somebody go calm him down. It was like that, except that with the political environment of Hebron, it became don't wave your stick at a Jew. And he was saying back, the old man was saying back, there's nothing to do. I don't care if he's a Jew or an Arab kid. He, you know, and I didn't quite get everything because it was in, it was in a mixture of Hebrew and Arabic. It was mostly Arabic. But he was just very frustrated, that old man. And we, and we didn't want to be – and we were kind of walking by. We didn't stop to you – know, No, kind of we didn't voyeur. Awkward. We just, that, we, um, that, that's our you – know, we're making a much bigger thing out of you know, literally like 30 seconds of, of walking by. Well, I would say that, I think, I would say that it, it, it all becomes very tribal. Right, it becomes a tribal issue, not uh, not a not an interpersonal issue, is what you're saying. Which is also pretty characteristic yeah, I think that's of the true. Middle East. I mean, that, that, that was the impression I got. Yeah. Yes. But, yeah, but the truth is, that, I mean, I kind of remember that happening growing up too in Philadelphia. Yeah. You know, if someone from you know your tribe was was threatened, then you know, it kind of it kind of is, you have. Neighbors, you know, America wasn't always this melting plot, right? The, the Jews, you know, there were the Jewish kids and the other kids, and uh, and that also had its its, its trotful parts well, to it. Alan, I grew up in a Jewish Italian neighborhood right. in Brooklyn where there was never any problems at all, ever, and nothing ever got <laughs> angry. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I'm going to ask you guys. Well, one of the things that oh, I find ahead, interesting, you talk about this tribalism. Is, you're talking about the tribalism. Is one of the things I found it interesting is we went to visit uh, Beit Hadassah, um, and that's like this uh, the building where there's uh, like a, a museum and Chevron uh, and things like that. Uh, and I was talking to the lady that, that works there, um, and she said, "Here, stand here a second. And she literally took me to the window where, like, in the in the building, and the next building, like across, it must have been about like, you know five feet or something like that, the window overlooking where we were standing. She said to me, that that's an Arab house. That's where Arabs live. And they're like literally living on top of each other. Um, but everybody's very clear. This is a Jewish house. This is an Arab house. There's no like mixing, but they're like much like next, like really on top of each other. I found that was very interesting. I thought there'd be much more separation than, than, than there was as well. Perfectly, and look, at, perfectly at times of tension, um, though things flare up. Yeah. Right? And at those times of tensions, things kind of flare up. Um, and I'll go back to kind of Oslo. Like, I don't know if this is, you know, <laughs> again, there's reports I've heard from people who live, Jew, Jews who live in Hebron, who would say that before Oslo, th- there was much more neighborliness that went on. So on the one hand, uh, in the Oslo period, you have this haggling going on and kind of figure things out. But there are those who claim that before Oslo, there was a lot more neighbor neighborliness going on. You could say sharing of, of yeah. sugar or yeah, yeah. Jews or milk would go or into coffee. Arab neighborhoods. Arabs would go into Jewish neighborhoods to go shopping or to borrow things. Or life was more that that type of coexistence was more the norm. Of course, the Palestinian Arabs didn't have any sort of political representation. Now that they do, it's fairly dysfunctional. So I, I don't know which is better or worse, but it's all very messy. So so to wrap it up, I want to ask you guys, did you come out 
But how did you come out on the emotions scale? Like, you know, where would you say your emotions were coming from uh, at the end of the day? Well, I, um, that's a very, very interesting question. I tried to detach my emotions from it because I came, as far as I was concerned, on an educational uh, experience um, that was, for me, was designed to learn and to, as you say, to see what was happening on the ground. Um, and I did not want my emotions to to interfere with my uh, with my intellect. Um, and I had not even till you till you asked me that question just now. I hadn't, I hadn't even thought about how it made me feel. I more made, I more thought about how what the issues I was thinking about, the thing the things I would like to learn more about in terms of the history and in terms of the current situation and. Now I have to go away and now think about my feelings and my emotions in true un-British style. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for that. I had the opposite experience. For me, uh, the main experience for me was emotional. And, and I'm not a super emotional guy. I try as much to be like, you know, Mr. Spock is my role model. But for me, whenever I go to a place like that, it's the emotional connection to Jewish history and heritage, you know, where where Abraham lived, David, King David's first capital, um, and going to these places and, and, and seeing Jews who are so happy to live there uh, is very inspirational. People who, who, you know, life is not the simplest, but they are really people who uh, put their money where their mouth is in terms of their ideals, and they're genuinely thrilled to be able to live in this in, 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 a, in a city that was Jewish before Jerusalem was Jewish. So, you know, there's my intellectual part, which then weighs all the political complication. And I don't think a responsible Zionist in the 21st century can escape the burden of considering the true complication. But my Zionist heart just was beating, 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 being there and walking around and feeling ensconced in Jewish history and national identity. I loved it. Well, before we sign off, I want to ask you guys a favor, and it's on the podcast, so you can't say no comfortably. Here's the favor. We, we, when we release a podcast episode, we put it on our student closed Facebook group. We put it on the podcast open Facebook group. We put it on our website as a blog post, and then we post that, you know, that's what we post onto Facebook. I would like to attach into that. Uh, I'll put. A, I'll put. If you guys think of any links of, of Hebron or, or anything like that to put in particular, I'll be happy to add it to the podcast. But what I really want to do is, we we took a lot of pictures. Matt and I took a lot of pictures. I would like you guys to pick two or three pictures that you think uh, explain our day or demonstrate something about our day, and I will add that to this episode's uh, blog page. So for those who don't want to just hear our insights, but to see a little visual, not a visual essay, but two or three, really no more than that, pictures from our day that tells something about the day, I think it'll give an extra uh, visual element to this episode. How does that sound? I think that sounds like, a, I think that sounds like an awesome idea, Mike. Okay, so I Great will, idea. We didn't take any videos, though. We did not take any videos. Uh, I didn't do that on purpose because in the back of my head I was thinking of doing this and that would be difficult for our setup. Not undo it, whatever. That's technical. Um, so, so WhatsApp me the pictures you want. We have a shared 
picture album that I shared with you guys. So pick your pictures from there. Uh, and Matt, if it's from yours, you can add it to the album. And then I'll link it to the site. Sounds awesome. Okay. Okay, great. Thanks so much, guys. Thank Thank you. you. Have a good day, everyone. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Jerusalem U, the Israel Teachers Lounge podcast. Please feel free to subscribe through whichever service you use. Also, come join us on the Facebook page and ask us questions and keep up to date with what we're doing. We love feedback. Also, we would really appreciate it if you could take a few minutes and review and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher. It would make a very big difference for us, and you would earn our eternal gratitude. Thanks so much.